all physical. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom, a, a tempest was there, a sound of a trumpet, a, a voice that they even said, please, we don't want to hear that voice. It's too powerful. They couldn't endure the message that, uh, uh, that uh, a beast would be uh, uh, killed if it approached. And they didn't want to hear it anymore. It was a terrifying sight and even Moses trembled. But look at what we've come to. And, and the idea is to be encouraged. We have access to these things, but they are not physical things. They're spiritual things. Uh, the uh, Verse 18 says, uh, you, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. The, the the idea is you've come to things that, that can't be touched. You could approach that mountain. You could sit at the base of it. You could look up at it. You could touch it. But look at these things that are untouchable. Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Think about that. These are amazing things. It's, a, it's heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, innumerable angels in festal gathering. Uh, some versions put those separate. There's innumerable angels and there's a festal gathering. Whatever it is, uh, there's like a feast. There's festal things going on. There's the assembly of the firstborn. You come to God, the judge of all. You come to the spirits of the righteous people made perfect. Can you imagine that, right? It says we have a great cloud of witnesses that, that uh, in a sense, is looking over us. We have a great cloud of witnesses that we can follow because they witness to the truth of the gospel. We come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We come to the sprinkled blood. You remember when the Old Testament was inaugurated, they took, they took the blood and just sprinkled it around. It's a picture of that. But it tells us that that, that blood speaks better than the, the blood of Abel. Remember, Cain killed Abel. And uh, he was trying to play games with God. Oh, am, am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to take care of him? And uh, God said... Uh, his blood is crying from the ground. I know what you did. And, and Christ's blood uh, speaks better than that. What an amazing description of, of what we draw near to. Uh, and then it transfers in verse 25. Uh, Christ's blood spoke, but now a new voice speaks. Verse 25, do not refuse his speaking. Remember earlier in the Hebrews, remember Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, when should we not harden our hearts? Today. And every day is today. It's, uh, it, it puts that emphasis on listening to, to God's word. It said, if they did not escape, how can we escape? And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? They saw it physically. They saw it in types and shadows. They saw curtains and utensils and wash basins and all those things and priests with certain garments. And they did not hear in that day. They did not listen to God. And the question is, how much more? If we come to angels, if we come to, to see by faith all the people that are there, the firstborn, if we come to Christ, if we come to the perfect sacrifice, if we come to God, if we come to a heavenly Jerusalem, how are we going to escape? Because, because it's, it's, it's beyond our imagination. And it's all spiritual things. The first shaking is mentioned in uh, 
verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. God's voice was so powerful that they didn't want to hear it. They, they, they saw the fire, they saw the smoke, they saw everything, and they were just afraid. But then he says, yet once more, I will shake. And this is, this is basically why we've come here. You might ask, well, why are we studying Hebrews when we're really looking at Haggai? Because, uh, similar to some of the other prophecies, this is the only thing that the New Testament is telling us that's left to happen, isn't it? There's another shaking is coming. Maybe we don't have all our timetables, maybe, but the New Testament tells us this shaking is coming. It's interpreted right in the text. This indicates the removal of things that are shaken, which is the things that have been made. All creation. All creation is just going to be taken, taken apart and, and removed. The result is in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And that's our hope, isn't it? Can my salvation be shaken? Can God's purposes in Christ be shaken? Can they be removed and taken away from me? No, they cannot. Because they cannot be shaken. They're not physical. Uh, they're spiritual. It's important for us to recognize that all those spiritual things, that whole list, cannot be shaken. As a matter of fact, it's opposite. The entire letter to the Hebrews has tried to establish the fact in our minds that those are the only realities that are left. Those are the things, not that they can't be shaken, but those are the things that God has fixed uh, for us. And then there's an application. Hebrews is very applicatory. Therefore, let us be grateful. Gratitude should come from knowing that my salvation is secure. What has been done by Christ and what the writer's point is here. You haven't come to this mountain. You've come to all these other spiritual things. That's, that's how we move towards God. With gratitude and then worship because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here's, here's all the turmoil that the world is in. It's, it really is incredible, the, the things that are going on. And we say that this is horrible, this, this is terrible. These things that we hear or read about or see, we never thought, we never thought this would, would happen. We never could imagine what's going on. But, it, but isn't it good there? Uh, isn't it good there that we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Uh, our gratitude and worship uh, issues in acceptable service. It says, let us offer to God acceptable, ser acceptable service or acceptable worship uh, with reverence and awe. And then underscored, our God is a consuming fire. Uh, first at the mountain at Sinai, it said he was a blazing fire. You see, God never really changed, did he? Uh, there's people that say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. No, no, no. One of the reasons that worship in our day, maybe you can't even call it worship, is so loosey-goosey, is because people do not realize that God is still a consuming fire that he was. They also do not realize all those privileges that they have, and that doesn't bring... The, the question, what is acceptable worship before God? 
if God is this, and I have all this list of privileges, and he's still a consuming fire, how shall I draw near to him? And it, it says it with reverence and awe, or reverence and fear. It, it underscores it. When we looked at uh, the passages in Joel, we saw basically the same thing. Uh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. If you remember, we, we, we narrowed it down. Acts chapter 2, Peter says, this day that's fulfilled. That's the last things. But also Paul and uh, Peter talk about the, the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's going to come suddenly. He says, we're not like those people. We're not night people. We're day people. We're people of the light. Peter, you remember, says both of those things. The day of the Lord will come like a thief of the, of the night. But what's going to happen? He says the heavens and the earth will pass away with a roar uh, just as suddenly. He understands Haggai's prophecy. He understands God's going to shake everything and take everything away. The application that Paul says is you've got to be ready. Jesus says the, the, the thief isn't going to break into your house if you're sitting there. The thief's not going to come and t uh, take your soul if you're sitting and guarding your soul. And Peter's application says we need to be holy and demonstrate godliness e every day. These privileges we enjoy now and, and until eternity. And how should this uh, help us to be grateful. The, the word acceptable just means appropriate, well-pleasing. We do things that, are, that are, are apt for the case. We do things that are appropriate. And isn't it appropriate to, to worship God for the salvation that can't be shaken and you receive a kingdom that can't be shaken? It's almost like we would just out of reflex bow down. In Romans, Paul does the same thing. He comes to a therefore, and he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable or rational service. If, if God has done all this for me, the only rational thing to do is worship him and bow down and present my body to him as a living sacrifice. That's the only thing that's appropriate. Paul is saying in the writer to the, to the Hebrews is saying it. This, this uh, fear is mentioned. And uh, a, a good definition that I saw was it's influenced by pious awe. Uh, piety and, and being pious is not looked at as a positive thing in our day. But if I said that, that person is a pious man, maybe you would understand. He demonstrates piety. He demonstrates holiness. He demonstrates closeness to God. It's influenced by pious awe. Our, our reverence and our awe is cautious and circumspect. The picture of, of Noah is in reverent fear he constructed the ark. Can you imagine that? You're building the ark and as you finish day by day by day, judgment is getting closer and closer and closer. That's the promise. And he built it in the same kind of fear that we're supposed to have, with reverence and awe, reverent fear. What is acceptable worship? What is appropriate? Reverence and awe is appropriate. 
in the mysterious passage in Hebrews 5, chapter 7, where Jesus learned through things that he suffered and prayed and had obedience, it said he was heard because of his reverence. What a mystery that is. He was heard because he had this same characteristic, this reverent awe, this fear of God, not cowering fear, but fear that realizes my salvation is amazing. It's incredible. And God is a consuming fire. What do we come to in the new covenant? It's spiritual things that cannot be shaken or changed in any way. God is always going to be there. The new Jerusalem is always going to be there. The temple is always going to be there. The sp all spiritual things. The festal gathering, the angels are always going to be there. Jesus is always going to be there, always be our mediator. And nothing is able to take it apart or take it away. So hopefully, hopefully that was encouraging. Because we spend a, a bulk of our time in Hebrews, or part of our time. When we go back to Haggai, uh, we do want to finish today. So uh, please follow as I read Haggai chapter 2, verse uh, 10 to 23, the 2.10 to the end of the chapter. On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread or this fold or cooked food, wine or oil or any other foods, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. Then Haggai answered, it said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and what they bring near to me there is unclean. But now set your hearts or consider from this day onward, from before one stone was set on another in the temple of Yahweh, from when it was that one came to a, a grain heap or a heap of 20 measures and there was only 10. And when one came to a wine vat to draw 50, uh, the, uh, the measurement there is, is different. Uh, that's why I hesitated. If you came to draw 50 cups or 50 portions, uh, then there would only be 20. Now you remember he's already gone over this and, th and that's what this is. It's a passage of, of remembrance. He's, he's using the priest to point them back and he says, don't you remember what I said a couple of months ago? I told you this was like this because I did it. And, and, and you were unclean, you act in an unclean manner, and now we're going to move on. Verse 17, I struck you with every work of your hands with scorching wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 and following, that's what he's been saying. I did it. I took away these things because you, you, didn't, uh, you weren't motivated. And uh, once again, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Uh, verse 18, this is the second consider. Consider 
from this day onward, from the 24th of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of Yahweh was founded, set your heart to consider. Double consider there, we'll look at that. Is the seed still in the barn? Not a good place for seed to be, is it? Where's your seed? Oh, it's in the barn. That's no good. Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. So this passage is a passage of remembrance, and it's a passage of promise. He says, two months ago, I told you this was going on. Two months ago, I asked you to consider your ways. Now I'm asking you again, because from this time on, I'm going to bless you. It bridges over to the end. Uh, then the word of Yahweh came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So here's the second prophecy in one day. And this is directed only to Zerubbabel. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones and kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares Yahweh, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares Yahweh of hosts. When in the introduction and in some uh, other references, we, we said he's, he's, he's telling him, you're the fulfillment of my promises to David. You are the one that's going to mark out. And, and in a sense, he is the one that's marked out to cross over time till the, till the Messiah comes. It's a, it's a passage of, of restoration. It's a passage of saying, my promises are not lost. The seed of David is coming, and I'm going to make you a signet. I'm going to make you a sign. They used to put that ring on. Jeremiah 22, 24, it says they, they took this king and they took the ring off of him. And now God says, you're going to be marked by this. So as we look at the third message, Habakkuk 2, 10 through 19, there's the timestamp again. The 24th of the ninth month, it's a, a little more than two months after the second message. You remember his whole prophecy is about four months. And uh, there's the timestamp. Here's the, the means is sim, similar to what we've seen before. The word of Yahweh to Haggai, thus says Yahweh of hosts. Important, remember, Yahweh of hosts, he's in control of everything. Uh, and here is the audience. Here, the only group that's addressed is the priests. Ask now the priests. So you go to the priests. They know about clean and unclean. They know about the law. They know about how things should be. Ask them these questions. And then uh, there, there's questions. Well, if I, have, if I have meat in the fold of my garment and I'm keeping it and it touches something else, are uh, uh, other things defiled? Well, the answer is no. It's all, they're all the same. All these other things that got touched, they're the same. But what if, uh, what if a defiled person touches it? Well, yes, then th that would be defiled. And, and it seems like, well, why, uh, why is he asking questions like this? Well, uh, he's reminding them that they should know what really is the difference between clean and unclean. He's reminding them that they should know and guide the people 
uh, to what is right. It reminds us of the, when Jesus said to the people that they used physical evidence to determine the weather. I remember my mom used to say that uh, red in the morning is the sailor's warning, red at night is the sailor's delight, or something like that. And basically, Jesus used the same thing. He says, if you see the sky is this color, you know this and you know that. But then he says, how, how can you discern the, if you know that, how can you discern the times? You're not discerning your times. In a sense, uh, uh, Haggai and, and uh, Yahweh of hosts is asking them, these are simple questions. And he says, I want you to go back and remember that this people was defiled before me. But now it's time to work. Now I said I was going to be with you. Now I said I was going to put my spirit with you. Now I said, work. Now I said, I'm in your midst. It's time to do it. The answer and the conclusion is that the people and the nation are unclean. They're unclean before me in God's presence. They're unclean. Three different things. Every work of their hands, unclean. Uh, and what they bring near is unclean. Before they did this lackadaisically, that's what he said. You you looked at the old, you looked at the old thing. You looked at the, at the fact that you have no resources. Uh, Hiram the king is not bringing boatloads of cedar and gold and all this stuff to build this temple again, and you're just maybe getting scraps because everything around you is wiped out. But. But you're, you're not doing it in a clean way. You're not doing it motivated by the glory of God. That's basically the idea. We can do things. We can do things that we're supposed to do in the wrong way, can't we? Oh, I guess I'll have my devotions again. We'll read a couple of chapters. Boom, boom, boom. Shut the book. That's it. Pleasing to God? Clean or unclean? That's what, it, that's what he's saying. Well, got to go to church. I always do. If I don't show up, what are people going to say? 12 o'clock, okay. That's what he's saying. How, how are you working? What are you doing with this temple? What's your service? And that's why he had to come alongside of him. And that's why we need to remember that's the grace and mercy of God and says, look, I'm going to be in your midst I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. Then we, we come to the, the, the next section where he says, carefully consider. He asks two questions. And then the answer, he says to the priests is, you're right, but the people are unclean. It's not a matter of a dead guy walking around. It's the people. It's as if they're defiled. Because the work is defiled. And, and remember, it's two months later, he's going back and saying, remember what I told you before. Verse 15 and verse 18, carefully consider. Consider from this day onward. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to think about that. Don't we have resolutions that we might make? Don't we have a day when we said, I remember that sermon. That sermon helped me. Uh, that uh, meeting with the pastor helped me. Uh, this situation in my life helped me. I can look back on that day when I said, Lord, I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to drive to the hospital. 
I can tell you what that day was. I can tell you everything that happened because I said, help me to drive there. Help me to sit there and wait. Help me to be patient. Help me to have an idea what's going on. Help me with this. Help, 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 help. And I can tell you that God helped me from that day forward. He was always a helper before, but that's the point. Think of a day when you know that God, without a doubt, helped you and did something for you. And that's what he's telling them. From this day onward, this is what I'm going to do. He says, uh, first consider. Think what it was before. Think what the temple was like before. He said he went through that thing. There's 20 measures you looked for, but there was only 10. There was, you looked for 50 measures of wine, there was only 20. And that's the, that's the picture that he, he showed them before in, in, chapter, in chapter 1. I called for drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. That's what he did before. Because remember what they did, they took care of themselves. He said, you, you made sure you had paneled houses and you, you left the temple of God? They made sure they had the nice wainscoting, paneling. Ah, this is a nice place I built for myself. And where's the temple? It's not built. So he's telling them, this is what I did. Yahweh's action, I struck you and every work. There's people and you can meet them day by day a uh, uh, year by year where you can sense that God is doing something in their life and it's not for good. Why does everything always happen to me, people say? I can't get anywhere in my life. Everything is against me. You know, for some people, that literally could be true. For us, we can't say that. If you're truly a believer, all things work together to for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But there are people that you and I know, there are people that walk this planet where God is against every work that they do. And look what he says, I brought wind, mildew, and hail. And uh, in an agricultural society, all three of them uh, are deadly. We, we understand about wind in Florida. Mildew, the, the stuff just rots. It got too wet, it got all mildewy, the crops are ruined. And hail, forget about it. Hail just takes crops out instantaneously. A five minute hailstorm could ruin everything that you planted and, and grew. He puts the result there before he comes to the second consideration. You did not come back to me. Remember, I told you this sermon before. And here's all these things I've tried to do in your life to send you a message. But you did not come back to me. You, you should have got the message. You should have said, look, how is it that every time I go and look for grain and provision, there's less than what I think there should be? How come for a couple of years in a row, all this mildew is on our crops? And we had that hailstorm... We had that hailstorm in March, and we had this, and we had this, and now there's supposed to be these strong winds, and that's going to ruin everything. But they didn't put two and two together. You see, they're unclean. 
they should have said, Lord, you're, you're in control of heaven and earth. If these things are happening, maybe there's something wrong. And then he comes to the uh, second consider, same format in verse 18. Consider from this day onward. And he puts the timestamp right in there again. He says, the reminder, remember the sermon two months ago. He, he puts the timestamp in verse 18. He says, uh, uh, the 24th day of the ninth month from the day, etc. And it was the 21st day of the seventh month that that other sermon was preached. That he was with them. And the one before that was a couple of months before that. It said he did the same thing. Think about it. There's a reminder. There's a question and a promise about lack of production. And we mentioned it already. Look at the question. Set your heart to consider. Is the seed still in the barn? The the, it's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be in the field, isn't it? But that's the picture. You, your uncleanness and your lack of doing anything is the seed still in the barn. You've got to think. You've got to consider your life. Oh, I struggle spiritually all the time. I struggle spiritually. Have you read the Bible this week? Um, well, not really that much. Well, your seed's still in the barn. What do you expect? Oh, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. Well, have you engaged the Lord in prayer? Ha have you followed the, uh, Gary's Acts formula? Have you adored him and confessed your sin? Ha have, you, have you spoken to the Lord this week? Well, no, not really. Well, your seed is still in the barn. What do you expect? W what are you going to do? Well, I want results out of being unclean. That's what the point is. That's what he's driving at. Seed doesn't belong in the, the barn. It's a reminder to work in the right way. Be clean and serve the Lord and he will bless. That's where he's going. The promise is, yet from this day I will bless you. The blessing is from Yahweh's covenant engagements and promises, not from the people's per perfections, although he's charging them to make themselves right and to get right with the Lord. And then the final section, the fourth message, is this uh, bridge, you might say, of blessing and its continued blessing. He tells Zerubbabel, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake the whole thing and take it all apart. And we can speculate, but there was never, ever a time when every other nation was taken apart. Although a passage that we'll read from Daniel uh, gives us gives us a, an, an idea. On that day, he says, what day? Well, the day that I do it. Well, when is that? Well, we're not really sure. Uh, the idea is that uh, Zerubbabel will probably be physically long gone. In his lifetime, there was no time when all the nations were wiped out. Uh, he'll be gone a long time, but, but God will establish the kingdom. He's a picture of the Messiah, the Davidic king, who will come and establish a kingdom that will never end. And that just goes back to our Hebrew study. We studied that because when the Messiah comes, what? He'll have a kingdom that will no end. He'll establish it and he'll wipe out everything other than that. It's the book of Revelation all over again, hundreds and hundreds of years before the book of Revelation. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar about his dream. 
And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. You remember, you remember the, the picture, right? Gold, silver, brass, iron, mixed with iron, dirt, and this. And what comes along? A little stone. Boom, 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 boom. Hits the feet. Mm. Whole thing crumbles. What's the stone? It's the kingdom of Jesus. It's the kingdom of the Messiah. What are all the other kings? He tells them. Oh, this, it's the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, and the Greeks, and this, all the way down to Rome, the Iron Kingdom. But it's all mixed up. That was the downfall of Rome. It, it spread out too far. There was too many nations under there that, that said, finally, we can't stand these people. But, but what happened? Nor shall that kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And, and brethren, that's the, that's the message. The, the, the closing message to you and, and to me is that we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All the promises through Zerubbabel to the Messiah, he'll establish a kingdom that will destroy all the other kingdoms. It will, it will never end. And just to finish up, all I want to say is even so, come Lord Jesus. That should be our hope. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for these amazing prophecies. We're, we're, we're humbled when we think of the kingdom that you have given to us and all the things that we approach. We're thankful for the access that we have to our Heavenly Father. We pray that we would uh, take this admonition found in the book of Haggai to be clean in our thoughts and our lives and, and not have such privileges to approach you and, and fail to do it. We pray that we would work for the kingdom. We are thankful that we inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken by anything that happens. In Jesus' name, amen.